Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. everybody welcome to this week's episode of pit lane parlay frenchie here along with hickey we're uh gonna host the podcast in host mike's absence while he's covering indycar content day yesterday and today boo boo why boo i wish i mean i'm sorry host we miss you so much i wish f1 had a content day that we could get passes to go to yeah where's that at like geneva or yeah, there's a wherever preseason is Barcelona. <laughs> Actually, they probably do 10 individual ones, don't they? For each team's launch. Yeah, I sure. I don't even know if the press gets invited to stuff like that, or you just have to call in virtually. You have to be like the distant cousin of a Ferrari to get into the Ferrari one. Yeah. It's so exclusive. We haven't made our way up into the upper echelon of F1 journalism yet. We'll get there. We'll get there one day. Steadily working our way up. So the first thing I wanted what to bring up. What do we got up, this week? Yeah, I wanted to bring up your championship win in the PLP GP League. Congratulations. Wrapping it up with four rounds still left on the calendar. Thank you. Uh, I have a lot of fun in the league. I, I really appreciate getting to know everybody and getting to chat with everybody every week. It makes the Mondays suck a lot less. So, yeah, it's uh, a lot of fun to do. I appreciate everybody and the time they put into it and the passion they have for it and how much fun we have. And looking forward to beating a lot of new guys. Uh, hopefully in May probably is when I'll meet a lot of a lot of the faces in the league. But, yeah, it's just a lot of fun. So I appreciate it and appreciate the time people take to, to race in that league. You've been doing a good job running it. I've enjoyed becoming a member of the league, even though my results don't necessarily show my, uh, I guess, how much fun I'm having. Thanks. Yeah, I just I can't wait for the uh, committee to give me the emergency powers to start um, kicking people out because of their on track decisions. Apparently, that's going to get intense. I'm just kidding. I don't want any part in that. Don't want don't want to touch that minefield. <laughs> you don't want to become the Anyways. dictator of the Xbox League. No, I have no interest in doing that. Um, despite what other people are saying. Yeah, I, th- I think we take the Xbox League a little bit less seriously than everybody seems to be taking their real-world F1 these days. Uh, yeah, well, Twitter. I mean, imagine if we had a Twitter atmosphere like we did with modern F1. Um, we have a, a members podcast coming out with Lighting and I. Uh, I kind of got to fill Lighting in on the whole Lando Norris girlfriend thing. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then he looked he like in the middle like wisely we were talking about he looked it up on twitter and was just shaking his head <laughs> yeah it's something i don't think we covered that much on the podcast but if you don't know about it you should go look it up for sure and see 
why people got, I guess, pretty upset for some reason that Lando has a girlfriend and posted a picture with her, even though none of How them dare he? had any, you know, real chance of being his girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever it is. Yeah, uh, we touched on it briefly in the IndyCar side. Um, I think the moral of the story is Lando Norris is not allowed to be happy unless he's dating and then insert Twitter user. Yeah, because F1 drivers want to date their fans on Twitter. That's the way it works. You never know. I guess it could happen. Keep keep the hope out there. Yeah, it'll happen one day. All right, so moving into some of the stuff that I guess has a little bit more weight to it, I, I would say. You know, no offense to the people who care about Lando Norris's relationship, but... The FIA at the end of last week announced what they're going to do with this inquiry into all the stuff that happened at Abu Dhabi and with Michael Massey. And they gave us a little bit of a structure as to what's going to happen and when they're going to release their findings. So actually yesterday uh, on January, no, I'm sorry, tomorrow, January 19th, um, they're going to be talking about the use of the safety car at a sporting advisory committee meeting. Then they're going to move on to a stage where they uh, have a discussion with all the F1 drivers. And then they'll do some more work to review and optimize the organization of the FIA F1 structure for the 2022 season. So when I'm reading that quote of organization of the FIA F1 structure, to me, that sounds like they're going to be making some changes and firing some people. What do you think about that? Wasn't it true? Did they say something in there that they're not going to release all this mumbo jumbo until Bahrain? Yeah, it's two days before Bahrain that they're going to make it public. So it's like March 18th and the race is on March 20th. It sounds like a recipe for disaster. Um, Obviously, we've discussed, you know, like you and me and Mike and text and I know you guys have discussed in the podcast uh, some changes we'd like to see, mainly the celebrity steward or whatever that comes in each race. That's kind of outlandish, but um, I, th- I, I don't know. I mean, I highly doubt they're just going to get rid of Massey. So I don't know if that's going. I don't. And if they would announcing it two days before the first practice or whatever would be a, a terrible timeline for that. Um, I'm assuming drivers and team principals are going to want to get to know the new team or competition coordinator or whatever they call it before the start of the season. So yeah, I, I only see this going poorly uh, with the timetable that they've let out. I, I think it's uh, it's going to be something and not only that, but it's two months away. So now we got two months of nonstop gossip about it, which is going to get really annoying really quick. This is peak formula one. Yeah. And we're seeing a lot of the hate on Twitter. I mean, I saw Damon Hill get roasted for voicing his opinion on everything by way too many people and i mean he's a f1 champion multiple race winner and seems like an all-around good guy but it was odd to see that i think this is going to be bad because i was hearing damon hill and i think it was johnny herbert and martin brundle talk about it and say they don't really see anyone out there who could replace michael massey because michael massey was kind of groomed by charlie whiting and has the experience and therefore who else do you choose so it's almost 
that we have to stick with Massey just because there's no one else out there. I'm not sure. And then the other thing that was kind of unpopular, I guess, that they said was that the FIA is essentially policing itself, right, by doing this investigation. So can an organization actually admit fault in any way by reviewing its own practices? Are they ever going to come out and say, hey, this was wrong? Or is it just going to be more or less a, not a cover-up, but are they just going to make excuses and not really change anything? I think the second part of your statement there answered that question. I also, uh, I, I just don't understand the whole Michael, like, yeah, I'm sure they put a lot of resources into grooming Michael Massey, but was there anything more un-Charlie Whiting-like than the way that that last race and pretty much the whole season was handled? Yeah. That was not very Charlie Whiting-esque. Yeah, that's a good point. So uh, I don't know what they're getting out of that. No, I'm not sure either. And I think it sounds like because all the rumors that we're hearing about Lewis potentially retiring and not saying anything publicly and Mercedes dropping their appeal hinges, I guess, partially on Massey being gone and being replaced with somebody else. And that's not really been written down anywhere, but that's what the rumors are saying as they swirl around in the air. Yeah, and I, I understand Lewis Hamilton's frustrations. I just think, you know, holding yourself up for ransom and saying, I won't come back unless X, Y, and Z is done, I think that's bad for any sport. And, you know, the sport of Formula One is bigger than Lewis Hamilton. Lewis Hamilton is the face of the sport and is the most successful driver in the sport, and losing him would be bad for the sport, but the show would go on. So, you know, if he's really hanging his hat on, I'm not coming back unless Massey's out, it, I think that's a... That's a bad, a bad agenda, if you ask me. Well, and Mercedes and Lewis are going to have to know about that before March, if they're going to make any <laughs> yeah. changes, right? So yeah, freaking, what did you say? March eighteenth comes around or whatever, yeah. and I don't even know who they put Nick DeVries. I don't even know who they would have. That seems like the only. I think Host said that last week, and it seems like the only reasonable option because you can't yeah. get a driver in that short a time that's not already in your your system. I heard, I think it was on the race F1 podcast. They suggested they could just pull Botas back out of the alpha seat and put him in. But I don't think Botas would be willing to do that just for a stopgap for a season. No, I, yeah, I don't know. It's uh maybe look at Grosjean to come back. I don't know. Um, which is something that was asked at the, uh, the IndyCar content days. Um, I guess while we're on the subject, I was going to bring up the one thing about Grosjean and Michael Massey. Uh, Grosjean was asked about it, and he said, "You know, he thought it was a, he thought it was strange that the cars got to unlap themselves." But he said, "I don't think the championship would have been nice to finish under the safety car. It would not have been nice to finish with the guys being separated on track, being first and second, separated by a few cars." I was more on the Lewis side than the Max side. So I was kind of, oh, Lewis lost it over the past part of the last part of the season. Max did the same, made an incredible job. But I thought it was so cool to get those two guys going together. So obviously, Twitter being Twitter, the Lewis crowd was not happy with that statement. The Max crowd, and I would say those who were in it for the spectacle were pretty fine with it. And I know all, every fan has an opinion about it, and most of them are, mm, that ending was a little sketchy. Uh, but it is what it is. I mean, 95% of people have moved on, and then there's 5% that are you know, staging sit-ins and other 
vir- virtual sit-ins. Is that what I saw? I, I didn't. That actually happened. I I want to. I yeah. I want to see. I think I saw something. But anyways, um, what do you what do you make of Grosjean's comments? I mean, I think he's got a point there. Uh, none of us wanted to see the race be manipulated, as Lewis put it. But we also really didn't want to see it end under safety car with them separated by a couple of back markers, I guess, or lapped cars. So you had to figure something out. And if you're going to, I guess, basically pursue the entertainment option, then you did what Massey did. Yep. And how dare Grosjean have an opinion? I'm trying to find this. He's still supposed to test the Mercedes I was reading the other day. Yeah, and I know I, I know I saw that, you know, obviously it was canceled last year, which was a bummer with COVID and everything. I'm not seeing I I swear I saw like an advertisement for someone saying like protest and everybody's like, dude, come on, just like move on. Like, good lord. Um Do you think he's gonna come back? Yeah, I think he's gonna come back. I think he has to make a decision okay. now without waiting on the FIA to announce anything, right? Because they've basically decided we're going to push this until as late as possible. And so he has to choose before he hears what they have to say. And I think he's a racer. I think he wants to get back in a car and he's got a contract for one more year. He's pissed off. Yeah. And rightly so. But I don't think if you leave the sport in this way, I think that will tarnish his reputation more than anything else. If you just decide to never come back, then I think you look like a baby. I agree. All right. So in the other news of the week, uh, we were talking about it last week with host Mike that Otmar was out at Aston Martin and we figured out that he was going to be going to Alpine. And in line with that rumor, the Alpine Formula One executive director, Marcin Budkowski, I don't know. I think that's how you say it. Uh, has left the organization, which is another change for that team. It feels like Renault and Alpine have gone through so many leadership changes over the year, years that I I just don't know where that team's going. It just seems like they've really underperformed for being a works team. Yeah, I think Aston Martin I could see a little more of just because you have Lawrence Stroll in a very powerful figure in charge of everything with his son also driving for the team. So there's some serious conflicts of interest going into that. That could be difficult for leadership to maintain the Alpine one. I don't understand as much. I know they've had quite the history in formula one of staying, going, leaving, you know, rigging races, etc. that, you know, there's a lot of colorful history there, but they seem like they're on a good path going forward now as far as having the support and being in it for the long term that it should be less sketchy than it was back in the day um but did we uh, find out who was going to be the new uh, team principal for aston martin yeah former bmw motorsports director mike crack mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i didn't really know who i've already was. decided i'm gonna call my crack all year <laughs> I didn't really know who he was. And I feel like I get to do that because my last name's Hickey. It's true. I think crack is worse, but. <laughs> yes, yes. Some <laughs> days it's not so bad to be a Hickey. Yeah. 
but uh, yeah, we'll we'll see what he's like. I know nothing about him because I guess he was in charge of BMW Motorsports, which was the sports car program, and Formula E previously. So this is I, he's he was in F one before though because he was involved with Sauber when they were with BMW. So he's coming back to Formula One, but I think this is the highest position, most senior position that he's held. So we'll see how he ends up doing. Hopefully, well, Aston Martin will improve under his leadership. Did anybody, any of you two's in the uh, preview show going to pick my crack as the first guy that gets sacked as team principal? I feel like either the Alpine guy or the Aston Martin guy is a pretty safe bet for getting fired because those teams just seem to underperform and keep switching out directors. Not, not big, uh, big Frank or is it Fred? Big Fred. Yeah, Fred. Big Fra- I always get it wrong. Is it Fred? Well, I call, I keep calling him big Frank. So we kind of just stuck with it. Well, I think host Mike calls Otmar oatmeal. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if that's better or worse than Mike Crack, but there you have it. Yeah, I mean, host gets some names. Host gets some names wrong that are just brutal at times, and it makes me cackle. Uh, but if he's saying oatmeal, that's obviously for giggles. Yeah. Um, try to get him to pronounce Narang Kartikeyan the next time you guys do a podcast. All right, I'll have to figure out a way to bring him up. Yeah, yeah, that's tough. How do you? You can talk about the. 05 Grand Prix, I guess, maybe. The U.S. Grand Prix. But you guys already did a good episode on that, though. We did. I liked that. It was good times. It's good times. For one of the worst races, you guys managed to make that uh, episode pretty interesting. Horrible race. Hated it. So in other news dealing with Alpine, uh, we've seen that Alan Prost, who was a some kind of a non-executive director whatever that means like an advisor of some kind has split with alpine and he was pretty pissed off and was happy to be vocal about it on social media he said he was very disappointed how the news has been announced uh that it was agreed that they would announce the news together but that there was no respect and he refused an offer made to him in Abu Dhabi for the 2022 season because of his relationship with Alpine CEO Laurent Rossi. So once again, it was interesting to see the shakeup at Alpine. I don't know if, I mean, Alan Prost didn't do too well as a team owner in Formula One, so maybe you don't really need his input. But uh, he was quoted as saying that Laurent Rossi said, he know, he told me he no longer needed advice and that there's a real desire to put a lot of people on the sidelines. What do you make of this? I don't person? understand. I don't understand that. I mean, if I'm a, a coach for the Chicago Bears, I'm not hiring Dick Buckets to come into our team to teach our linebackers anything about coverage. Because football in the 60s and 70s is nowhere near what it is nowadays. In the same way that Formula One in the 80s and the early 90s is nowhere near what it is nowadays. So I'm not sure what exactly he's doing other than being like the prestigious, famous guy behind the scenes that, you know, one of the best drivers of all time. But what does he exactly offer per se? Like, I just don't understand 
that whole, I mean, he, I know he keeps getting these kind of roles and I couldn't tell you why. And like you said, he was a team principal at one point for a pretty failed effort yeah. uh, to put it lightly. So I, yeah, I just don't understand what kind of input he would have that would really benefit a team. I'm not sure, but I will not doubt that he finds some other home in the paddock. <sighs> God. And I like Alan Frost. I, I was mean, a fan, go, but I don't, I don't understand. Yeah, I liked him as a driver. He was all right. I mean, he was a good driver, obviously. I mean, I obviously was more Team Senna, but yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe he can go to Ferrari and then slander them again and get fired again. <laughs> I think I think once you burn a bridge with Ferrari, it's burned forever, but I guess we'll see about that. Yeah, the Italians don't forget. No, definitely not. All right, so moving on in the news, I found a couple of quotes by Julian Palmer, pretty interesting, and I wanted to get your take on them. Okay. He was quoted... Julian Palmer? Yeah, Julian. Okay. He was quoted on the F1 Checkered Flag podcast as saying that he would go, he would have gone with Lando Norris over George Russell at the Mercedes, like if he was choosing who was to drive there. He said the way that Lando held off Lewis at the end of that Saatchi race until the strategy and the tire choice got away from him was unbelievable for a guy that has never won a race to have a seven-time champion breathing down his neck. Then it starts raining, and then he's off the road a couple of times, but he's keeping Hamilton uh, behind him, and we know how good he is in the wet. It was really legendary stuff from Norris. What's your thought on that? Would you take Norris over Russell at Mercedes? No. Um, I think if you're talking any driver that was in a top eight if you're within the top eight teams and even sometimes when you're on a slow team there's a good drive that stands out for everybody um you know norris has had several good drives sochi being one of them russell has had some very good drives his bahrain stand-in despite it not really being a race his qualifying effort at spa was very good he had several good qualifying efforts this year in a williams team that seems very inept in the last several years of doing anything right versus mclaren's also on this upward trajectory so obviously it helps to have a good team behind you if norris is doing well at places like monza and sochi so no i i don't really agree with the take uh now if russell steps into the mercedes ride and struggles for a year and it's looking bad then it might be an appropriate take but you know at this point in time with the amount of resources and effort they've put into russell and the fact that they've been you know keeping him in the wings just to get him ready for this moment um i don't think that's the best take i've ever heard if i'm being honest it kind of goes in line with some of julian palmer's results himself uh, (laughs) when he was a driver I'm kind of with you on that one. I, I don't understand. I mean, Russell beat Norris to the F2 title in 2018. They were There's that too, yeah. So, I mean, they're both elite drivers, but I would assume that Norris's contract with McLaren goes for many years. And so if you already have Russell in your pipeline, why wouldn't you just go with Russell? Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere 
and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Instead of trying to scoop another guy away from a top team. I don't know. I don't understand why he went yeah, with Yeah, and then if you were a young driver, would you ever go to Mercedes at that point then? If you're with McLaren? No, so like, let's say you're an F2 driver who's not really in an academy, and Mercedes offers you a chance to join their academy. Like, what would be the point if you like go through all this effort to become a? Hi, listeners. We wanted to take a moment to tell you about another podcast from Evergreen Podcasts and Sound Talent Media called Pit Lane Parlay. Pit Lane Parlay is the go-to podcast for IndyCar and motorsports-related news. Each episode, we discuss things like our favorite drivers, news clips from the last week, and generally giving each other a hard time about predictions we've made in the past and or life stories that have come up recently. We really have a lot of fun with it and really enjoy each other's company, and we hope you can come join us too. Join Pit Lane Parlay by following us on your favorite podcast today. Mercedes Academy driver just to get replaced at the last second. Yeah. Would show pretty much no loyalty. So it'd be like a yeah. Red Bull move. And I understand, like, <laughs> yeah, seriously. And like, if Lewis did retire, then I would understand an outside hire because it's kind of last second, things like that. You know, it's it's a spur of the moment kind of deal. But um, yeah, I I think it's bad. I do see Lando maybe being a successor for Lewis if Lewis does do like one more season and retires. I could see Lando stepping in then. But choosing somebody over George Russell, I just never see that happening unless Russell really tanked this year, which I don't think he did. Um, But I do have a trivia question for you. Go for it. All right. So the MP4-4, one of the greatest cars ever produced, um, that was the 1988 McLaren, for those who did not know. Um. So there were 16 races that year. It's a two-part question. There were 16 races that year. Which race did McLaren not win that season? Monza. So it was Monza. Ferrari did finish 1-2. I believe Prost retired early on in the race from some sort of mechanical issue. Senna had contact with a driver with three laps to go. And it was a driver that was standing in for Nigel Mansell at Williams. Do you know that driver? Yeah, it's like Jean-Louis Schlesser or something. Yes. The most random thing. I love it. His Wikipedia page is a whole... Obviously, because it's kind of a big deal to just step in. But he has a whole page dedicated to the 1988 Italian Grand Prix. Wasn't that his only star? Yeah. Yes, it was his one and only start, and he it looks like he entered two races. In 1983, he entered a race with the Ram Racing, but did not pass pre-qualifying, it looks like. Uh, so he only has one start to his name, and his claim to fame is tangling with Ayrton Senna, robbing the McLarens of their perfect season. Um, I think there were allegations says, that Ferrari paid him to do that. Yeah, cool. Because Enzo Ferrari had died one month earlier, right? So there was a, it was the only win that Ferrari had that season, and it was a one-two, and it was at Monza. Yeah. After the race, Schlesler said that he did not think the collision was his fault. Nonetheless, he made a tearful apology to Senna. And he was in 2013 Monaco Grand Prix. 
he was reintroduced to Ron Dennis. Dennis quoted as saying, this is the man who ruined my life and our perfect record back in 1988. <laughs> That's so savage. And Schlesser, <laughs> yeah, Schlesser responded saying, what happened that day at Monza kept you hungry? There we go. The McLaren dominance for, well, I wouldn't say dominance. Up until the uh, 91 Williams came around, the McLaren dominance is owned to Jean-Pierre Schlesser. Oh, sorry, Jean-Louis Schlesser. Schlesser. I can't even say it. What a hero. Yeah, what a what a legend he is. Well, good for you. You got that right. Well done. That's that's late 80s. That's like when I get into my specialty of like 80s and 90s. Yeah, that's like every fan. If you've never watched late 80s Formula One, you are seriously missing out on some quality stuff. Late 80s up and through uh, 93. Eh. 93 was kind of boring. I think nine, 90 and 91, I think, if I remember correctly, were a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, I think, and then once once that Williams car got super good, like 91, 92, it did start to hurt things a little bit. 93 was, yeah, you're right, with the Prost coming back. That was just garbage. Um, 94 was sad, and then they ruined all the tracks after that. Imola. And then... 95 was fine, I guess. Yeah, but then they made it. Late 80s and very early 90s were the bomb. Absolutely. It's the peak, I think, the pinnacle. But but we're going to be seeing, speaking of uh, uh, the pinnacle, we'll hopefully see some good racing back again, some some interesting cars in the new formula um, that's set to debut, actually. We've got four dates so far for when teams are going to reveal their cars. Um, And they're going to do it February 10th, I believe, is Aston Martin, while February 11th, McLaren's going to do their car. And then, let's see, there are two more that announced. Mercedes announced, and so did, I want to say, Alpine. Uh, Mercedes, Ferrari, Aston, McLaren. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Ferrari. You're right. So we've got four dates. Aston Martin on February 10th, McLaren on February 11th. Then about a week later, Ferrari's doing it on February 17th, and Mercedes on February 18th. And I think we'll see them all right in around there, probably within those few days. They'll probably just try to not be on the same day as each other, but we'll have 10 straight days or so of car reveals. Which is fun and exciting and cool. Did you see Hulking uh, Big? Basically come out and say that the uh, car this year is going to be every bit as fast as last year's car. Yeah, I did. Despite all the changes? Yeah, that he did some simulator work, right? Yeah, I think so. And that sounds fun to me. I mean, I know I if the cars are every bit as fast, but the racing improves, sign me up. Yeah, it's. I mean, I just saw something from Pirelli, too, that was interesting, that they're going to keep that rule about every team gets the same tire allocation for the weekend into 2022. So since 2016, Hmm. you could, I guess, you had the same number of sets of tires allocated, but you could mess with the compound. So let's say you wanted, just for example, you get five tires for the weekend, five sets. You could say you wanted all hards, while another team could say they wanted all softs. (laughs) But... The bold strategy. But now the teams have apparently said that they liked when 
the cost cutting strategy of basically giving everyone the same tires for the weekend that was introduced during the pandemic. They like not having to think about that aspect of it. And then they just kind of choose based on what they're given. So I think they're going to be. Yeah, that. It make, it's it's less annoying strategy and whatnot. So, yeah, that's good. I mean, that's how it was in the Formula One game. I didn't know if that was just like a glitch or because, you know, before every race, it shows you your tire allocation, but you can't do anything. So you just have to click a uh, I didn't know if that was an accident or if that was just how it is, but it's how it is. So no, they're keeping that. I think it makes the racing closer too, right? Because you have to use the tires that you're given. They're not giving you like a bunch of extra sets of tires that you could just save and use the better ones. Right. You, I mean, you have to use all the compounds, yep. so you're going to be bad or kind of at a disadvantage at some point over the weekend. Yep. I like it. I think it's, it's good. Good with me. Gets my thumbs up. The last piece of news that I have is that apparently the sprint races for 2022 could not happen because the team oh no because the teams have not agreed to the amount of money that they're allocated for like crash damage and how much they're going to be paid in addition for those events. What a shame. It was in an interview with Zach Brown, McLaren's, uh, what, I guess, racing director, or I guess, is he the CEO of McLaren? CEO and, yeah, CEO. That there's one team, which I think we can probably guess who it is, that wants the cost cap limit raised by $5 million so that they can then use that Well, money. you say that. It could be Red Bull. I was thinking it was probably Ferrari. Right, it could, it probably is Ferrari, but it could be Red Bull. You could see Christian Karen, you know, throwing a fit about that one. Yeah, I, I could. But, I mean, but, they're not just getting chump change. Apparently what they're going to get is around $500,000 for the first five events, the five sprint races. They're getting paid for that. And then an extra $150,000 for each event beyond that. So they're getting $2.65 million to cover the cost of being in those sprint races in addition to the cost cap. Yeah, but to play devil's advocate, if you like totally your car, how much is that? Like 2.2 or something? That's a good question. Because I think... I think hmm, but you can ooh, total your car and qualify. That's true. You could. How much did Max Verstappen's crash in Silverstone cost? Because that is probably as close to totaling a car. Um, Two million pounds. Okay. And would you put that... You had it in dollars, right? Yeah, that was in dollars. Okay, so pound a dollar. So two million pounds is 2.7 million. Okay, so they were going to get 2.65 million. So, but you got... I mean, you got to think a team like Haas who has Mazepin. They're, you know, shaking in their boots. At the crash damage potential costs, yeah, that like this guy totaling a car twice. Um, yeah, I mean, you you make a good point. You can definitely total your car in qualifying. It's not as common. Um, you know, I'm trying to remember last time someone like obliterated their car in a qualifying session, not just like a minor off or a back into the wall, but like totaled their car in a qualifying session. I don't remember us seeing that much contact or damage during the sprint races this year. 
Gasly, Monza kind of went off. Um, no, but I do think the new cars will hurt that because they'll be able to allegedly race closer and pass more, which is inevitably going to lead to more contact. I, mean, I guess that makes sense. So, yeah, I mean, I guess that the when you boil it down, I didn't like sprint races. I don't think they're necessary, and I don't think they enhance the product too much. The only thing it did really was give us like the one moment where, you know, I think it's super annoying where Lewis got his, uh, you know, like reprieve from his penalty of Brazil by getting to pass everybody in the sprint mm-hmm. race to set himself in an okay position for the race and then going on to win versus that it would just been a normal weekend or whatever where he was disqualified from qualifying. He would have started 20th and had 71 laps or whatever to get to the front instead of having a sprint race and a feature race to do it. Yeah. No, it's it'll be interesting so. to see what happens because I don't like the sprint races either. And Zach Brown says that he thinks that we should just ditch them for 2022 and just focus on doing it for 2023 and just take more time to negotiate, I guess. But who knows? I mean, with teams getting used to a new car and the development on the new car, maybe it does make sense to wait and not introduce additional risk for them. But I, I don't know. Because it's going to be a lot of... That'd be too smart and forward-thinking and logical. Well, I, Why don't they just announce it like two days before the first sprint race? They probably will. I mean, they, I, they, they're not going to make a decision on this for a while. <coughs> a bunch of jokers. There's just a lot of politics going on right now, it seems like. Yes. So we're going to be in for a very interesting season of Drive to Survive again, I think, in 2022. Even if the racing, the on-track action is not as good, which I've heard both sides. Yep. Yeah, it's uh I'll tell you this F1 nonsense is it's fun and also gets a little annoying at times with the politics and the nonstop kind of like drama theater that we get even during the off season. Hey, it gives us something to talk about week in and week out. Though. I guess. Yep. The host is back next week though, so I get to uh kick back and listen to you guys talk about the nonstop drama. Yeah, thanks for coming back on and filling in for him. Yeah, anytime. Oh, I'd love coming on. I appreciate it. As much as F1 sometimes isn't my bag, it's still fun to talk about talk about it with people who know what they're talking about. So I appreciate you having me join. All right, man. Uh, with that, I guess let's end the episode for the week, and we'll see you all next week. I'm Bruce Martin, host of Pit Pass Indy. Each week, I go behind the scenes of the NTT IndyCar Series and introduce our listeners to the biggest stars of IndyCar, which features the Indianapolis 500 as its cornerstone event. The men and women that compete in IndyCar may be the bravest athletes in all of sport as danger lurks around every corner. They are able to look danger in the eye without flinching. That is why the NTT IndyCar Series features the best racing on the planet. Join me every week as we talk to the stars of IndyCar, including the legends of the Indianapolis 500 on Pit Pass Indy from Evergreen Podcast. 